mystical prayer erases all barriers between you and God. It might happen in meditation or even spontaneously in a heightened moment, like watching a beautiful sunset or looking into the eyes of a newborn. Mystical prayer is the strange sensation that suddenly God is present. It's not due to any intensity of devotion on our part. It just is. It's a sudden feeling that there was a veil before your eyes and suddenly it's no more. You're left with this intuitive feeling that there's a wise, gentle, loving presence with you, piercing your soul from all directions and especially bubbling up like a spring from the very center of your being, radiating its light outward. I'm Nina Hielenda, Franciscan sister, spiritual director, and founder of Dancing Spirit Tours. It wasn't that long ago that I lacked the self-awareness and inner freedom to focus on growing my relationship with God. Fast forward past a lot of suffering and lessons learned, I now have a spirituality that gives me more joy, meaning, and connection than I ever thought possible. I created the Holy Rebels podcast to help you forge a direct personal bond with God that will empower you to become the most effective and loving version of yourself. When you expand your understanding of ultimate reality, you are walking the path of saints and mystics. Living a mystical life, you'll find your life transforming in a myriad of positive and grounded ways that are so comprehensive and amazing, they're almost unbelievable. If you thirst for truth, purpose, and joy, you're in the right place, my friend. Let's get started. Today we're speaking about how the Holy Spirit works and how it feels in your life. This is important because when you can identify the sensation of this fiery presence, it feels like a spark in you that when you can listen and follow and attune your inner compass to its beckoning, the effects ricochet through your life. Suddenly you have more clarity and conviction in your decision-making. You feel light, free. There's a spaciousness and ease in your heart. It's easier to move forward with confidence into the future that you're creating in your mind, your dreams. This is like real magic. Consciously aligning with the Holy Spirit is a form of mystical prayer. This is what the mystics, the saints, and prophets experience when they pray. Rather than thinking of this type of prayer as a practice that you take time out of your day to do, try thinking about it as an experience that you enter, a state of being from which you live your whole life. 
we tend to think of prayer and meditation as something that you take time out of your day to do. You know, you close your eyes, you become aware of your breath, maybe you fold your hands, get in touch with your heart. But mystical prayer is rather the effect, the byproduct of a deep relationship with the fiery core of ultimate reality, the Holy Spirit. Mystical prayer is like melting into the mystery and resting in that quiet in-between zone between this physical place and the vast non-physical space. Though I'm using Christian vocabulary to describe these ideas, this experience of divine union is not exclusive to Christianity. In the yogic traditions, for example, it's called samadhi, which is a state of profound absorption in the absolute that is undisturbed by ego-generated impulses like cravings or anger or fear. Mystical prayer, no matter the tradition, is a largely thought-free state in which you realize that everything is actually one thing. It is so awe-inspiring that these experiences leave people speechless, yet profoundly clear and grounded. You might be wondering, how do you tell if your spiritual experiences are authentic? How do you know you're not just on some weird emotional high, that you haven't self-generated a delirious state that will lead you to a dangerous place of self-delusion? Good questions. The mark of authenticity is groundedness. Does your spiritual practice leave you feeling more grounded or less grounded in your real day-to-day -day life? This is how you separate the wheat from the chaff. You have to be discerning because there's a lot of airy-fairy stuff out there that will leave you feeling confused or disconnected or like you've been let in on some special secret of the universe that others couldn't possibly understand. You have to be so careful because elated states of consciousness that leave you feeling dysregulated or isolated from others, those are potential red flags. Working yourself up into an ecstatic frenzy is not the point of mystical prayer. The goal is quite the opposite. The goal of mystical spirituality is to become someone who can anchor a grounded divine presence into the nitty-gritty of this messy human life. Authentic mystical prayer leaves you feeling profoundly connected to the here and now. I recommend that you keep this in mind as you learn to unlock these mystical laws in your life because mysticism can be so astonishing that it's disorienting. And the goal is not to float off into the abyss. 
and it's not to get distracted by otherworldly phenomena. The goal is to bring a sense of purpose, clarity, and love into the daily details of your life. If you keep this in mind, you're more likely to stay humble and true to your path. Mystical prayer is difficult to articulate because everybody's experience is unique. And though Catholicism has a rich mystical and theological tradition, you'll rarely, if ever, hear it spoken about in an organized religious setting. I mean, can you even imagine a priest opening the Sunday sermon with a lesson about how to work through your dark night of the soul? If they did that, churches would be full because so many people are craving this type of spiritual wisdom. Religion tends to lead with doctrine, with rules, and stories of a personified God. The intention is to help you live a moral life, and many people do find this kind of guidance enriching. But if you yearn for a deeper understanding of the fabric of reality, and you want actionable steps on how to unlock the wisdom of the ages and apply it to your everyday life, then I'll bet you find doctrinal explanations too simplistic or even irrelevant to your personal development. Jesus says, Truly I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There are so many ways to interpret what Jesus means here. But one way I like to think about it is that children have this insatiable curiosity about the world around them. They naturally possess an infinite hunger for knowledge, which is both innocent and also wise. Children are constantly wrestling with questions, big, profound, existential questions like, why do people have to die? Are mistakes always bad? Can you be happy and sad at the same time? So it makes me wonder when Jesus says, become like little children and you will enter the kingdom of heaven. Makes me wonder, what would you be like if you had the same curiosity that you had when you were a child? What questions would you have about morality, meaning, and the nature of being alive? When we become adults, we're discouraged from asking these big questions. They're too big. They're unanswerable. What's the point of even asking? As we grow older, our natural curiosity and sense of wonder is dulled by everyday routines and obligations of adulthood. A technicolor universe becomes black and white. 
But that explorative childlike spirit who lives within you is still wondering about the nature of reality. And this is why we have the study of metaphysics and the practice of mystical spirituality. Metaphysics is the branch of philosophy that studies the fundamental nature of reality. It answers questions like, why is there something instead of nothing? What is consciousness? Do we have free will? Is change really possible? What is time? Am I just a bundle of experiences? Is there a soul? Does my life matter? In this spirit of metaphysics, we're going to dissect the mechanics of a mystical experience, mystical prayer, the Holy Spirit. How does it happen? Is it even possible to conceptualize the supernatural? Or is the divine mind beyond our human capabilities to understand? Regardless of your own beliefs about God, if you've ever tasted ultimate reality, even for a single moment, your worldview is transformed and your childlike curiosity reawakened. Saint Bonaventure says, quote, At the center of mystical prayer is the Holy Spirit, who is a raging fire of glowing love. Bonaventure is saying that the Holy Spirit is the essential nucleus of the spiritual path. If you don't have a personal experience of the Holy Spirit, then you are merely going through the motions of religion. It means nothing because the Holy Spirit is love. Religion without love is empty, even if you're practicing all the correct moral conduct. If you're doing the right thing, but you're lacking the heartfelt presence of the Holy Spirit, you're missing substance. It has to be inspired to be genuine. If you're doing the right thing out of fear or guilt or because you think you should, then you're doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. Authentic ethical conduct has to come from within you. It's impossible to be genuinely compassionate without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the inspiration of love. So let's talk metaphysics. The weirdest, most confusing doctrine in Catholicism by far is the Trinity. Ask most Catholics, who is the Holy Spirit? And they will give you some version of this answer. They'll say, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God is three people, but also one person. Well, honestly, that answer drives me a bit crazy because it doesn't make sense unless you have a theology background. Let's be real. What does it mean 
that God is three people, but also one person. I'm really glad for this conversation today because at the end, not only will you have a metaphysical understanding of the Trinity and the Holy Spirit's place within it, but you'll also know why these are core concepts in mystical spirituality. There's a story in the Bible in the book called Acts of the Apostles, where Paul travels to Ephesus in Greece. Paul was one of the closest followers of the teachings of Jesus in the early days. In some sense, we can relate to Paul because he never met Jesus in real life. Shortly after Jesus died, Paul had a mystical experience where he met the risen Christ and it totally transformed his life. One day, Paul encounters a group of fellow Christians who have only recently been baptized. Paul asks, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were baptized? And they had no idea what he was talking about. So you see, people have been confused about the Holy Spirit for 2,000 years. Don't feel bad if you're one of them. The Holy Spirit and its place within the Trinity is a story that Christians tell themselves about the nature of love. Triads aren't unique to Christianity. Primordial triangles also appear in other world religions. For example, in Hinduism we have Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva, who are the creator, the substance, and the destroyer. The triad even appears in earth-based spiritual traditions, such as Celtic shamanism, where we have the maiden, the mother, and the crone who represent different stages of birth, life, and death. So in Hinduism and in Celtic shamanism and many other traditions, the triads show that everything appears to be separate, but are actually one. These triads show that the things in this world are perpetually created and then mysteriously reconciled back to where they came from. The triad in Catholic mysticism is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, the gender terminology can be distracting because God is not a man, and God is not a woman either. God doesn't have a gender because God is not human. It's the source of all things. If you think of God as origin instead of Father, it can help you conceptualize the Godhead beyond humanness. Look around you. Everywhere you look, you'll find the capacity for life to reproduce. At every level of existence, there's a pattern of repetition in nature, in communication, image making. This is true from the microscopic level of cell division all the way up to the macroscopic level of galaxies being born. Everywhere you look, big or small, life is constantly producing patterns and images of itself. The creative impulse that makes things happen is God. God is the creative life force that makes every moment. 
The origin is the reason for things existing in time. It's the cause of everything in this physical world, including you and me. The tangible reality you see around you, you, me, snails, the ocean, the changing seasons, elephants, trees, everything exists as a spilling over of God's creative energy. But creation is not the first thing that God made. Within God itself, there is creative energy. That's what it means when scripture says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. It means when beingness becomes conscious of itself, it sees itself. In other words, it generates an image of itself and becomes self-aware. The image of beingness is consciousness itself, or the word. This image is a perfect copy of God and permeates the universe and infuses it with order. It bonds all things that exist in time back to their origin. So we have these two spiritual entities. We have beingness, that is God, the origin or father. And we have consciousness, that is the son or the word, the logos. And these entities are really just names for conditions of existence, beingness, and consciousness. When beingness becomes aware of itself, consciousness is born out of that awareness. And they look at one another, these two entities of being, these two states, and they're in awe. And instantly, naturally, the two of them fall in love. Beingness loves its image naturally. I know this is a bit abstract, but you can feel this in your own life. When you pause in your day to close your eyes and take a breath and notice your existence, that's beingness in you becoming conscious of itself. And when you do this, you'll notice a naturally arising softness, a presence of love. And so beingness and consciousness notice one another's perfection and they sigh a breath of love for one another. And that first shared breath between them is the Spiritus Sanctus, the Holy Spirit. This story of the Trinity is a metaphysical explanation for how life perpetually creates itself becomes aware of itself, and generates love in a circle. Beingness, awareness, breath. Origin, word, love. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You can see a similarity in Jewish mysticism. The triad on the tree of life is Keter, Chokmah and Bina, 
Keter is supreme consciousness who gives birth to chokmah or wisdom. And the two gaze at one another and produce bina, which means understanding. In other words, when you become conscious of wisdom, you understand, you integrate it. Now I know that this is all highly conceptualized, but the Trinity is meant to be experienced as a force of love in your life. This white hot intensity of divine love between origin and word, between beingness and consciousness, it spills over into your life. The story goes that the word consciousness is sent all the way out to the limits of where the realm of spirit and matter meet. That's here, to our tangible reality. And it's sent out for the purpose of reconciling the created world and infusing it with love. In our lives, in our day-to-day -day physical world, the only felt evidence that we have for God's existence is love. That's the Holy Spirit. It is the active gathering that connects everything, not only to God, but also to one another and to ourselves. Love stitches you back together. It makes you whole. In love, you remember who you really are. You remember your authentic self beyond your personality, beyond your ego. But even more than that, you remember the birthless, deathless you. This is the you before you were even born. The you that is eternally folded up in God forever before the origins of the universe. This is the timeless you that will never die because God will always know you because you're made of the substance of eternity. This is the real you. This might all sound cryptic, but the Holy Spirit is meant to be understood as this force of reconciliation in your life, not as a dry, abstract idea. So what do we make of this in our lives? How do we ground this complex theological narrative in real time? We can look to the great 20th century American mystic, Thomas Merton, to help us see that the Holy Spirit is vividly alive and working within our souls at all times. As you listen to this quote, see if you can find traces of the Trinity, of beingness becoming conscious of itself, and how that leads to this explosion of reconciling love. Listen carefully to what Merton says. The secret of my identity is hidden in the love and mercy of God. But whatever is in God is really identical with God. For God's infinite simplicity admits no division and no distinction. Therefore, I cannot hope to find myself anywhere except 
in the divine. Ultimately, the only way I can be myself is to become identified with the divine in whom is hidden the reason and fulfillment of my existence. Therefore, there is only one problem on which all my existence, my peace and my happiness depend. To discover myself in discovering the divine. If I find God, I will find myself. And if I find my true self, I will find God. Hmm. This is so deep and profound. Merton is saying that there's magic in the intimate realization of your own divine nature. You realize that you are nothing without your origin and that you are infinitely precious because you are part of your origin. The mystics encourage us to give ourselves away completely to the love that is perpetually pouring itself out to us in every moment. In your next breath, in the pumping of your heart, in the bliss of experiencing emotion and being a human being. The essence of reciprocating that love is having gratitude for it. Remember Paul? After the conversation with the Christians and learning that they've never heard of the Holy Spirit, Paul develops a theology about it. He says that the Holy Spirit is the internal witness. He says, God joins with our spirit to bear common witness that we are children of the divine. If you can pause, sit still, and wait, you will notice silence. And if you listen carefully, you can hear with the ears of your heart that there's something inside that silence. God is there. And God is beckoning you into the inner temple of your soul. And if you can follow that invitation, you will come to a deeper place of stillness within yourself. And you will find the internal witness who is forever observing you and loving you compassionately, just the way you are. The mystics call this the indwelling spirit. It's almost impossible to feel a true sense of belonging in this world if you haven't experienced some version of being aided from the beyond. No matter what name you give to the divine, there's an awareness that something is loving you into being in this moment. If you've ever had a spiritual transformation on any level, you're no longer living a dream world where you filter everything exclusively through your ego. Sure, we all have our moments, but now you have the spiritual maturity to remind yourself to pause, become aware, and choose love. This is the Holy Spirit in you, 
origin and word in you gazing at one another beingness becoming conscious of itself paul speaks about the holy spirit as a permanent strengthening force inside you it's an internal homing device that we can depend on as a source of wisdom it's the calm inner authority who reminds you of your preciousness it inspires morality it is the love of god you can call upon this indwelling witness whenever you need help this is mystical prayer this is what the mystics do when they pray as you can tell by listening to this episode the metaphysical dynamics of the trinity are beyond the reach of the intellect you really have to stretch your imagination and use multi-layered metaphors even to define what it means. But to truly understand, you have to listen with your soul and live into it and let the Holy Spirit teach you about itself. Teilhard de Chardin says, To understand the world, knowledge is not enough. You must see it, touch it, live in its presence, and drink the vital heat of existence in the very heart of reality. That's exactly what I'm talking about. It's an honor to be with you today. You have no idea how much it means to me to connect with you on this level, soul to soul. In closing, I'd like to share a prayer with you by Thomas Merton. But before I do, can you please do me a favor? Please write me a review on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. Holy Rebels is a new podcast, so your reviews make a huge difference getting this podcast out there in front of more people who are interested in mystical spirituality. Plus, I read each review, and I absolutely love hearing what you think. It means a lot to me. Okay. Here's our closing prayer by Thomas Merton. My Lord God, I have no idea where I'm going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself. And the fact that I think that I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, will I trust you always though I may seem to be lost in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone. Amen. My friend, thank you so much for listening. I'll see you next time on the Holy Rebels podcast. 